date our Tech Weekly one step closer with Stacey Harris, John Sumser, and the Irish Dance Troupe. How are you, Stacey? I'm doing well, John. I am home in North Carolina, getting ready for the holiday season here, enjoying some sunshine today. And how about you? Are you home this week? I am home and getting ready to abandon all hope and head into the Christmas cooking zone. So... <laughs> couple more calls this morning, and then it is time to don my red suit and jingle bells and start making vegan delicacies for a flock of people. <laughs> Isn't there a story somewhere I remember we talked about of a job you once did about selling, I think it was sweepers with a, with a Santa suit on. Wasn't that it? <laughs> Oh, so that was my first introduction to technology. I was a door-to-door Santa Claus for the Polaroid Instant Movie product. And, and so 1979, I think, Polaroid, who was a dominant photo company at the time, and famous for their instant pictures, made an instant movie project. They had invested 4 or $5 billion in those days in the technology. And, and what you do is you... You put the cartridge into your movie camera, you take the movie, and then you pull the cartridge out and you dump it in some liquid and it becomes an instant movie. And it was such, it was a revolutionary idea, but that was the year that Sony introduced the Betamax, and so nobody um, bought the Polaroid Polavision product. Now, if you did buy the Polaroid Polavision product, Santa would come to your house for a four-hour Christmas party. Um, and <laughs> so, so that was my job. And I sat in a, in a trailer with five other Santa Clauses twiddling our thumbs, waiting for uh, somebody to buy one and have us over to a party. Um, so I was, a, I was in, a, in a sort of a, a Santa Claus union. Um, sitting around waiting, and since nobody bought them, I got to know the other Santas really well, and I certainly enjoyed driving back and forth to work in my costume. I, I, my sense, I think, is that um, that is a great example of being the best in a dying product area, I guess, right? <laughs> and 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 having a great marketing idea a little too late for the industry, right? So so both things that we've seen multiple technology companies do over the years. Um, but that's a great yeah, story. Yeah, it's, a, it's exactly, it's exactly the, the uh, how do you get, I hate the word disrupt, disrupted because it's so overused, but, but when you're the leader in an industry, it's very easy to think that you know everything. And that's when you can get taken out by a little tiny competitor. Sony was not much to speak of when it took Polaroid out. Polaroid was a a part of the um, Dow Jones Industrial Average, I believe. You know, they were a rock solid yeah. uh, American company, um, but their engineers got all focused on solving the problems that they knew rather than understanding the things that they didn't. Exactly. Well, and, and that actually leads into what we'll be talking about, not next week. Next week we're going to, everybody's taking a bit of a holiday break, but we're going to be doing our special uh, end of the year, beginning of next year um, radio show on January the 2nd, where we'll be talking about 
the wrap-up of the decade and what has changed and what has uh, what uh, organizations have grown or not grown um, out of the last decade as well as what we see going forward. So I think we'll have a couple other stories like that, won't we? Yeah, we will. The, the, the industry is kind of full of them. Um, and yeah. so, you know, all technology industries are full of them. So, how about you? What's going on with you? Well, besides being busy writing for my book and uh, focusing on, you know, what we're doing for next year's HR system survey um, and getting prepared for new databases, I have spent a little bit of time looking at what's going on in the HR tech space this week. And there's some interesting stuff, things that are worth sort of wrapping up the season with. Um, we had some, some interesting stuff going on with um, Microsoft 365 um, and uh, the new Dynamics 365 HR product from Microsoft. Um, we've got um, some uh, news from Hacker. Um, I think you've got some of that. We'll have you talk a little bit about that and some acquisitions that they're making. Um, Modern Hire releases a code of ethics for using AI in hiring this week, busy uh, focusing on how they're going to um, think a little bit more ethically about what they're doing in Modern Hire. Um, also this week, what was sort of interesting in the news was Vinley raised $35 million in Series B funding. Um, Vinley is a – they call it work management system, but basically it's, it's a contingent workforce kind of uh, product. Um, and um, I think there's some interesting stuff going on in that space, um, not just in the technology space, but also in the legal space. We know that California's got a new employment law coming out that um, was put in place last year, but is, is going to take effect January 1st and 2020, um, that limits the amount of work someone can do with an organization and be considered still a freelance or contingent worker, which I think is going to change some conversations, and we, we definitely can talk about that. Um, there was also some news this week about a thief stealing payroll data for thousands of Facebook employees from a hard drive in someone's car, which is a whole lot of things we could talk about there. Um, and if we've got time, IBM Watson recently did a huge article and have been doing a lot of uh, focus trying to get people to um, maybe believe is the right word, that they are the only big player who is um, owning the AI virtual agent space right now. No one else, they believe, is doing it um, the way they're doing it. So it, it's been a busy week, John, you know, outside of my own stuff. How about you? Or is, are, are you, um, besides preparing to cook the feast of the year for, for the holidays, any other news articles that you saw going on this week? Nope, nope. I think, I think you've covered the most interesting stuff, and we ought to wade right into it. So, so Microsoft is, this is, I think this is the week where all the big old players decide that they're going to be new again. Right. This is this is the season of rebirth for thirty year old companies. Fifty year old <laughs> companies. Seventy year old companies. So <clears throat> Microsoft, who has dabbled in and out of the um HR technology market over the years, is making a big push. They got Josh Josh Burson to write an article um about how they are 
bringing an integrated platform, enterprise platform into the HR tech space. Um, and, you know, you can be forgiven for imagining that this is sort of Microsoft Office Plus. Um, but what do you think? What do you think? Here comes, here comes Microsoft. Should everybody run in fear? Should we laugh? Should we, um, what? Well, I mean, I will have to say, um, I'm, I'm one of these small companies that have been on the, the, the newest product they released in 2017 was Teams. And um, we use it extensively in our company. And it's the most frustrating software I think I've used in ages. So that being their newest software, anything they're planning is something like that. I, I'm not sure I'm convinced that this is going to be a home run, but, but we'll see. You know, you never know what you can do when you throw enough money at something. But I will have to say that in my experience, I mean, Microsoft has tried to do enterprise-level um, applications that go beyond sort of the, the Microsoft Office space for quite some time. Um, they've done very well with their Azure Cloud environment. It's definitely, you know, increasing adoption. You know, there's no doubt that Microsoft um, as a, um, you know, word processing, Excel spreadsheet, you know, office tools, productivity tools is, um, you know, still at the top of the game. But we've not seen them do very well at business level enterprise applications, you know, functional level enterprise applications. And it's partially because those things will never quite make as much money as the consumer level or direct-to-consumer products will you just don't have as big an audience. And they're so complex that they require a lot more focus, I think, than oftentimes Microsoft is willing to give a product um, on a regular basis. So I, I'm not convinced of this, but we'll see. Yeah. Yeah. You know, the, um, the, the thing is that a consumer product, you make one copy and you sell $7 billion. You make one product, you sell seven billion copies. In the in the enterprise space, you make one copy, and nobody uses it. <clears throat> Everybody modifies it, uh, and so and so the dynamics of development are entirely different. And uh, you you almost need to have two separate entities if you're going to be in both a consumer and an enterprise business. And I haven't noticed. Microsoft organizing that way. No, yeah, I would agree. Because at the end of the day, the enterprise will take more services, more required support, more development and design efforts, um, which means it's going to cost more, which means from a yeah. bottom line perspective, it, it just won't be as interesting as the other stuff, right? Yeah, it's um, the margins are lower. And what, what, um, um, people entering the market see is that the per unit sales price is higher, but the margins are so much lower. The sales cycles are longer. It's hard to get um, a, a consumer-oriented organization to operate effectively at enterprise pace and enterprise scale. So it'll be interesting. So. You know, it, you know they can they can get a lot of speakers and influencers to to talk about what they're doing. I mean, there's there's definitely a lot of of investment to be thrown around in this area. Um, 
but you know, it, it will, will when the rubber hits the road, we'll see if, if people pick it up and, and if it's a usable product and tool. I mean, they are definitely coming out saying that they're gonna that they are gonna cover the areas of compensation, benefits, leave, absence, compliance, payroll integrations, which is not exactly payroll, by the way, performance, feedback, training, and certification, and self-service. And then they sort of have an add-on that and all the things that LinkedIn does on talent acquisition. So it's still a pretty muddied picture, but um, but it's clear as in their focus than, than they've had for a while in that space. So put yep. a pin in it. We'll wait and see what happens, right? <laughs> yep. yep, it'll be interesting to watch this one unfold. And then after that, yeah. Modern Hire has put out a code of ethics for using AI in hiring. And, um, you know, I'm a fan of this idea. I, I had a little bit of involvement in this particular project, uh, just to be a prud. But I, I do think that everybody who delivers AI um, is going to have to make a statement that talks about safety and risk. Uh, in order to inform employees, managers, and other stakeholders about what they're actually getting into. And so, so I think that modern hire is just at the head of the pack is all that, all that they, they've done here is they've demonstrated how to get started with the code of ethics. And it's a great step forward, but it's one that everybody is going to need to um, get on board with at, at some point in time. Let me ask a little bit about code of ethics, John, your perspective on since since you've been involved in sort of the the focus on this, um, what's what's the the I guess, you know, the thing about code of ethics beside you know, outside of regulations is that, you know, somebody has to oversee them. Somebody has to make sure they're being adhered to. Um, and if they get broken, there should be some consequences. Any thoughts on how that might come about for the code of ethics market in in the AI space? Because our regulate regulations just aren't catching up to where this is at right now, and so that this is the the, the next best thing, right? But how do we hold people accountable to them? Well, so so I'm not sure I agree with you. I'm not sure that enforcement is the most important thing here, um, and. And, and I, I get I get a little torn about calling what needs to happen ethics because it always has that it always kind of kind of becomes a conversation about rules yeah. and and it's really too early to have have hard fast rules that you punish people for breaking and I think those things are called policies right mm-hmm. so an ethics code is more on the um, vision and explanation level than it is um, a list of the Ten Commandments that you can't break or you're going to hell. Um, and, um, and, so, and so you want to say things like, um, we won't use information that you don't understand, for instance, right? And that's not... That's not a hard and fast rule. That's a, we think it's important that if we're going to be evaluating you, that you understand how we're evaluating you and that we're committed to not evaluating you um, with information that you can't understand. And that's sort of a, that's sort of a um, nod to the 
video interviewing dust-up that's going on with higher view um yeah that that higher view claims um that you can tell something about somebody's personality uh, by looking at 15 minutes worth of data taken from video and there's not really much in the way of hard science there um, there's some correlation data but there's not a lot of hard science there and you can't really explain what's going on to somebody who um, submits themselves to a video interview, right? And so, so a code of ethics that says, we won't use data that you, can't, that you can't understand gets at these sorts of things or the, the systems that claim to be able to assess personality um, by compiling social media data um it's really hard to understand if, if you tried to explain to somebody how their twitter flow demonstrates their personality and how that could be captured mathematically i think that's i think yeah. that's a stretch right and so so there are areas like that and then there are uh, areas like um, some conversation about bias you know you can't get the bias out of a system um, but you can talk about how you think about bias and what you're trying to do about bias right and so yeah. so i would say that an ethics statement is more about trying to convey what you're trying to do um, and where you think the guardrails are than it is to say to saying anybody who does the following thing is going to get two weeks off without pay I would assume it also, yeah, it makes sense, and I, and I would assume it also gives some guidelines for your developers too, because I mean that's one of the things we oftentimes forget is that a lot, especially these bigger companies, maybe not so much. I'm not hire one of the smaller organizations, but I think for all large organizations, there is a bit of, you know, letting your developers, especially product uh, developers who are sort of leading up large functions, sort of run with the best ideas and. There's so many directions we can go these days with AI and content and information and the use of it both inside of corporations, inside of vendors who are, who are developing content. Uh, a line of ethics is, is, is a guidelines and, and ways for them to think about how they're doing development too, I would assume, correct? Well, it can be. It can be. One of the things that, that, that I've done, I'm, I'm starting to get really interested in this area, and so, and so I have a couple of projects helping people with these things. One of the things I've done is I've built a, a sort of a scoring rubric that evolves, and the scoring rubric is the topic areas that ethics codes have addressed um, across the observable universe of ethics codes. They're about, they're about, I don't know, maybe 90 or 95 observable ethics codes out there. And um, they all touch on this subject or that subject. And so, so the, the, the most important thing currently in the AI ethics codes is transparency, um, yeah. making sure that people understand what's going on. Um, and, I think that'll change because there are, as you just mentioned, there are a fistful of things that are not yet included 
in these statements? Um, how do you how do you make sure that the development process ends up with something that everybody can live with? Is is the kind of question that you're pointing to, and I don't think that any of the um, ethics guidelines that are out there address that yet. Okay. But it's exactly so. So there's there's the current trend. There are like I think I think there might be 18 different topics that that ethics guidelines address currently, um, and there's a distribution of how how many of the guidelines um follow those things but there's a churn at the bottom so so we're at the early ages and people don't really know yet what all of the issues are um, and so you can imagine that these um ethics guidelines will um, evolve as people start stumbling across real problems well and it'll be interesting to watch yeah i mean and i think in a the how these start to entangle with the regulations that come down the pike um, and do they understand each other. So so fascinating stuff to talk about for next year, right? Heading into 2020 yeah. is this, this, this conversation about the ethics policies. Um, well, you know, we're speaking of regulations that are going to sort of impact what's happening in all of this space. You know, we're seeing a lot of regulations come out around the idea of what is an employee and what is labor, which there's some some pretty big ethics around that. Maybe not so much in the AI, but but how it's being sort of viewed inside of the HR system, there is definitely some ethics around it. Um, you know, we're seeing. So one of the only companies that I pulled for funding, we get, there was a lot of companies that got funding um, this last couple of weeks. There was a, a coaching company, and there was a you know lots of job boards who've got funding. But the one that really picked my interest piqued my interest was. Venley, which is $35 million in their C Series B funding um, led by Insight Partners. Um, they call themselves a cloud-based work management system, but they're basically, you know, if you look deeper at what they're doing, they are one of the many organizations who are looking at managing your contingent or freelance worker workforce. Um, you know, their focus here you know, is on Fortune 500 companies, um, Large organizations, and you know their investment here. It looks like is, is going to be around sort of creating a, a a tool that will be you know more customer focused and modern and disruptive technology. As you said, that term gets used a lot, right? Um, but it it comes along at the same time that we're seeing this new regulation in California, where the new employment law basically says as of January first, twenty twenty. Freelancers um, basically are are no longer allowed to do inside of an organization more than I think the number is thirty five um, actual submissions is is what it is and I, and I was sort of intrigued by how they were defining this but the effect is is that if you were submitting more than thirty five elements projects pieces of work right then you have to be considered a full-time employee for an organization. Am I reading that correct? And, and are we – do you think some of these regulations coming in place, because California is the first, but New Jersey is looking at some, New York's looking at some. Is this going to have an impact on this huge market that's growing around contingent workforce management as well, do you think, John? This is the beginning of a war. This is really the beginning of a war. Um, the reason that the states are interested in regulating 
who is and isn't a an employee is that the states run almost exclusively on payroll tax revenue um and so so when somebody is an employee you you don't really get a lot of choice about whether or not you pay your taxes um when you are a freelancer or a um um a, some kind of a gig economy worker you have to decide to send your quarterly taxes in you have to decide to pay and so the the, the net is that that the gig economy produces a more erratic cash flow than traditional employees do but the law is bizarre and written by people who don't understand what they're doing and so so if you if you say that somebody who is a a freelancer producing 35 blog posts must be an employee what will happen is anybody in california who does that will be out of work because 35 blog posts is nothing um and and you're starting to see that the people that i know who are freelance um bloggers uh, are their contracts dried up starting in november because uh, because people who read the law didn't want to pay with with a paycheck arriving in January. Um, and so so the work has dried up, but there are other things like you know the 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 independent truckers um, of California all qualify as employees under this law. And so independent truckers um, do their work, by being small companies. And so they're able to deduct all of their expenses. And if you are an employee, you can't deduct the expenses. And so the consequence of the law for companies who are trucking firms that use independent contractors to solve surge problems um, is that you put them out of business because they have to capitalize the surge capability. Um, and so, so, so there's every reason to think the lawyers that that, that I talk to um, are of the impression that the law will be changed in the spring. Okay. Because but because it was written by people who didn't understand the world they were trying to regulate. <laughs> Which happens a lot, right? <laughs> Well, yeah, yeah. If and, you're a politician, it 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 it's not an indicator <laughs> that you are um, knowledgeable about the things that come under your control. Yeah, and and I think the other side of this, I mean, obviously, you know, this is going to have an impact on truckers, Uber drivers, Lyft. You know, probably, you know, the um, Dine and Dash and and Grubhub, all those would have similar environments like this that would be picked up. Um, writers, bloggers are, are the first to have an impact. But I, you know, the, the HR technology side of this is also who's tracking that? What if you aren't paying attention to this law? What if you don't know where your, your freelancers, you know, sort of are, you know, located at all the time? Or if they move from, you know, maybe they're six months in California, six months, you know, outside. You know, there's all those kind of things that have to be tracked. And what system is tracking that right now, right? I think that's that's the piece that I'm 
I've been sort of really trying to get my arms around none of these technologies right now that are doing all of this find a gig worker are offering the management of the compliance side of this picture, right? Well, and, and there wasn't a, a tremendous compliance side till just recently. And um, you're absolutely right. You are absolutely right. This is liable to become the hot button issue in HR overriding everything else because everybody in the organization hires freelancers today. The marketing department hires freelancers, engineering hires freelancers, everybody hires freelancers. And um, if they all have to be coordinated through either procurement or HR, um, one of those two operations has to wake up and, and they're both they're both capable of administering um, compliance stuff. Procurement does it all the time and HR does it all the time, but somebody's going to have to do it. And if yeah. you're trying to have a controlled view of your entire workforce and its expansion and contraction over the coming years and do real workforce planning and you're in HR, you'd really want to have um, control over this data. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not sure that HR likes to hear that because they don't really like to own it, but, but definitely, yeah, that's definitely their area. So. Yeah. So we're running up against maybe one more topic here. Do we want to talk about the Facebook having their data stolen, or do we want to talk about IBM's expectation that they are the virtual agent provider of the future, John? Which, which one do you think is the most interesting you conversation? You title this show, <laughs> Big Companies Behaving Like Big Companies. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> you know, because IBM is making this kind of delicious assertion that they're the only players in the sandbox. <laughs> and you can imagine that not everybody agrees with that. And then Facebook, some employee had all of the payroll data, had payroll data on hard drives in their car. And now you'd think this was the cloud company to beat all cloud companies. Right. And, and yeah. if they don't protect their own payroll data, after all of this, after all the junk in the last five or six years, they don't have stringent approaches to protecting payroll data. That means that that means that your data and my data are on a hard drive in somebody's car, too. Yeah. Somewhere. <laughs> somewhere. Somewhere. And whose role is this? Is this IT or HR? And I think that's a real conversation in the market these days, right, that we're not having probably nearly as much as we should, right? You might recall that I've been trying to make the case that HR should be responsible for security because it is the place that's responsible for the protection of personally identifying information in the organization. And that that is the asset that most digital intrusion is after. Right, and so HR ought to own this security question. But you know what? You, you don't get a lot of people in HR going, "Yeah, that's right. We should do that." <laughs> Maybe the other title for this show should be "Things HR Just Doesn't Want to Own But Really Should." Right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> so that's a long so, hashtag. Uh, it's a very long hashtag. I know. I'll, I'll let you make the decision, John. <laughs> <laughs> no, nope, it's in there. It's it's great. Okay. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Next week we're off. Yep. 
following week we're on That's and we're going to have our yeah. granddaddy of all granddaddy shows talking about everything that's happened in the last decade well maybe not everything but anything that's interesting how about that <laughs> yeah the only one thing that was interesting yes so we're going to do that so thanks for tuning in it's been another great show Thanks for doing this, Stacy. We will see you back here in a couple of weeks. You've been listening to HR Tech Weekly, one step closer with Stacy Harris and John Sumpter. Bye bye now. Thanks, everyone.